Walk in the Breaking Doctrine, presented to you by the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate at the Combined Arms Center at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. The views expressed here are those of the individual and do not represent the views of the Combined Arms Center, U.S. Army, or U.S. Government. Hello, I'm Major Chris Parker, and this podcast topic is Army Leadership and Leader Assessments. With me today is Brigadier General Charles Mazarakia, Director of the Mission Command Center of Excellence. Sergeant Major Robert Ferguson, Sergeant Major, Mission Command Center of Excellence. Colonel Sam Sane, Director of the Center for Army Profession and Leadership, or CAPL. Colonel Rich Creed, Director of the Combined Arms Doctrine Directorate, or CAD. And Colonel Chris Cardoni, Director, Commander Assessment Program. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, good to be here. So today we're discussing Army leadership and leader assessment from both a doctrine and institution perspective. There have been several updates on both fronts over the past two years, and we're going to touch on a few of them today. In April 2019, the Center for Army Profession and Ethic merged with the Center for Army Leadership to form the Center for Army Profession and Leadership, or CAPL. In July of that year, Army Doctrine Publication, or ADP 6-22, titled Army Leadership and the Profession, was updated. And later that summer, the Army piloted the first Battalion Commander Assessment Program, or BCAP, which has now been executed twice at Fort Knox. In addition, the Army conducted the first iteration of the Colonel Command Assessment Program, or CCAP, in the fall of 2020. Finally, CAPL spent much of last year refining and piloting Project Athena, a career-long leader assessment and self-development tool that is now being conducted across all the basic officer leader courses, or Bullocks. But with leadership as the unifying thread tying all of these initiatives together, I think it's best to start there. So, Colonel Creed, if you could kick us off with kind of an Army definition and description of leadership and how we frame it. Thanks, Chris. So, uh, ADP 622 leadership, uh, Army leadership in the profession, uh, defines leadership as the activity of influencing people by providing purpose, direction, and motivation to accomplish the mission and improve the organization. Uh, But it kind of goes a little bit further than that, and it talks about what an Army leader is. So leaders uh, provide leadership, right? So we had to talk about what a leader is. So the Army says an Army leader is anyone who, by virtue of assumed role or assigned responsibility, inspires and influences people by providing purpose, direction, and motivation to accomplish the mission and improve the organization. So in a practical sense, it kind of reflects, those definitions reflect the Army's attitude that um, if more than one soldier is in a place, one of them's in charge. Um, and, and the expectation culturally within the Army is that um, it, it's not necessarily rank-based. It, it could be situationally uh, contextual, but somebody is always in charge, which means it's vitally important that people understand what being a leader is. So we have this, this Army Leadership Requirements Model, and I think we'll probably get into some of that a little bit later this morning, but um, it, it, it kind of frames leadership in, in two things. It, what you should be and what you should do. So the attributes get to what you should be. They talk about character, uh, the Army values, um, empathy, uh, discipline, humility, uh, your presence, your, your, your military and professional bearing, uh, your physical fitness, uh, confidence, all those kinds of things. Um, but the things that you do, the competencies, um, you know, we talk about leading, leading others, building trust, extending influence, uh, leading by example, setting the example, uh, your ability to communicate. Um, other competencies are about developing. You know, develop yourself, you develop others, you set it, create a positive environment uh, for the development of others. Uh, and, and this idea of stewardship of the profession, right? We're, we're here to protect uh, the profession. And then we achieve. So we want to get results. 
because ultimately that's what military organizations are designed to do. So you have to anticipate, you have to integrate tasks, understand roles, uh, assign roles, uh, provide resources, and, and set priorities. Um, so there's a distinction between the attributes and, and competencies uh, in that competencies are something that the Army expects us all to develop um, and because they can be developed. Um, whereas the attributes tend to encompass enduring personal characteristics. It doesn't mean that they can't be shaped over time, particularly if you come into the Army as you're, when you're very young. Um, but uh, they, it takes a lot of time to mold those, uh, whereas the, the competencies we expect people to develop constantly. I've got a question. Yes, uh, Rich, uh, General Masaraki. Does doctrine delineate anywhere the attributes and competencies by rank, position, or branch? We talk about levels of leadership, sir. Um, so the short answer is yes, and we do it in lots of different places. So um, in terms of competencies especially, the, each of the branches has a, uh, a, a series of competencies that they expect a lieutenant, a captain, a major, um, you know, throughout their career to be able to display those, those types of competencies. Um, when, in 622, we talk about levels of leadership, too. Uh, so I'm a direct leader, I'm an organizational leader, and that corresponds with rank uh, and, and then your responsibilities over time. So as you become more senior, you become less of a direct leader. I mean, we always are direct leaders. There's always a direct subordinate. Um, but when you have that organi organizational uh, piece, we, the, the Army addresses that doctrinally as well. Thank you. Yes, sir. Now, the Keystone Leadership Doctrine, ADP 6-22, was just updated in July of 2019. Uh, Colonel Sane, can you give us some background on what was revised and updated in 622? Sure, sure, Chris, and, and, and thanks for the question. I think Colonel Creed did a great job of, of, of laying out some of the elements of, of ADP 622 that, that, are, uh, that are foundational to, to who we are as an Army and how we see leadership and leader development. And that starts with the Army leader, Leadership Requirements Model and the Be No Do pieces that he talked about. But much of the content uh, in, in the new six, ADP 622 uh, endures. Uh, it provides really a common a framework and language and expectations. Uh, it sets the foundation uh, for those attributes and competencies that Colonel Creed talked about. The roles and levels of leadership that he, he referenced. Uh, but there's really kind of four areas that, that I can talk about that, that uh, your listeners m might be interested in. And that's really uh, one that Colonel Creed talked about, and I'll expand a little bit more. That's the revisions to the leadership definition, uh, some additions, uh, an addition of the dynamics of leadership and the role of followers, or what we, is termed as followership. Um, uh, the introduction of a term called counterproductive leadership, uh, and, and really the, and the addition of ADP, ADRP1. So ADRP1 ADRP was incorporated. So... It is the, you know, the Army profession and Army ethic. That's the, the foundation of the Army profession exists within the leadership requirements models, attributes and competencies, things like trust, honorable service, military expertise, stewardship, uh, and then the historical Army ethic, things like loyalty, integrity, duty, selfless service. That, that's contained in the Army values, and Colonel Creed kind of talked about that uh, a moment ago. The second thing is really the change to the, the definition, and, and Colonel Creed touched on this, and but I just wanted to, to expand a little bit. So really, as he talked about, it was really the, the change in the use of, of an action versus a process uh, in leadership. So what, was, what, what the team wanted to convey was that leadership is a discretionary activity that a leader chooses to do in a specific situation. 
There's not a sequence or some recipe for success that will always work. Uh, Leaders have to be smart about how they lead across the competencies. It takes the leader's mindful attention, at least until good leadership actions become natural and second nature to that leader at whatever level they're at. What works for one leader with one set of followers in one situation may not work um, in another combination. So one leader may need to use more compliance-based influence techniques with untrained soldiers or maybe a civilian workforce. Uh, But once those soldiers or or those civilians are trained, uh, the leader should use uh, more commitment-based influence techniques, and that's covered in the ADP. Uh, This is especially true if the rapport has been established and the followers respond well to, uh, you know, a a commitment-type influence. Uh, the next thing, really, I, t- I talked about at the beginning was, was the emphasis or, or discussion on followership. So while the role of followers has been uh, expanded upon in the ADP, uh, there really isn't an additional emphasis placed on it in, in, in the 2019 version. Uh, the ADP 622 acknowledges that leadership is more than about a designated positional leader. Uh, leadership is the energy created by the leader and that energizes his or her followers to accomplish the mission they've been given according to the guidance that that leader has provided. Uh, Leadership is really about the space between that leader and their followers and what ensues from that intersection. Uh, Followership is is not really a thing uh, separate and distinct from leadership. Following is what naturally comes from just from leading. Our oaths of office we take as as military leaders leaders or civilians uh, requires us to support and defend the Constitution and among other things like allegiance and obligation to faithfully discharge the duties assigned to us. Uh, The fourth and last thing I I touched on is a term uh, that was new in in ADP 622 which was counterproductive leadership. It's not necessarily a new concept. Uh, Some some of your listeners may have uh, previously heard that the term toxic leadership Uh, Toxic leadership was introduced in the previous ADP 622 in 2012 um, after there was a a growing number of incidents of of largely army commanders and other leaders relieved for conduct unbecoming an officer officer, or, in some cases, a negative command climate. The concept was referred to in that version as negative leadership. Those cases were substantiated by a series of findings and surveys from the field and documented in things like our annual army, uh, annual survey of army leadership. Uh, Further research and development was was, uh, conducted in a partnership between CAPL, the Department of the Army IG, uh, JAG, the Army Research Institute, CGSOC, and a series of others. And that led us really to the development and definition of the term counterproductive leadership. Um, really out of that research, it was felt that the phrase negative leadership was, was really an oxymoron, uh, that it truly wasn't leadership if it was negative. But the phrase counterproductive leadership, uh, we are describing actions and attitudes that go against the positive, energizing effect that leadership is supposed to have, as Colonel Creed talked about before. But by defining and identifying observable behaviors and their effects on others and organizations, counterproductive leadership moves towards some type of observable behavior, vice and imprecise labeling of people as toxic. Uh, The term toxic obviously carries some baggage and and it's really kind of a buzzword to some people. Um, But again, this expanded leadership also shows shows leaders what is not acceptable, but in the same vein, it, it informs followers what they should not tolerate. So 
So again, there's just a couple things to cover as, as we move from moved into the 2019 version. Oh, thank, thank you, sir. Hey, Chris, yep. I, let me throw a couple of things out sure. there too, Sam, because we there's a tension sometimes, uh, sort of from the doctoral perspective, of putting things in a language that you know, because doctors supposed to be able to be read and understood uh, by somebody on a first read for the 12th grade education. And one of the things that we had worked very closely with Capel with was we really wanted to take a look at the language and put it into a practical sense. So over time, we had, we had informed the Army's leadership doctrine by science uh, and, and studies and research and all those things, but sometimes the language that we used in, in our doctoral publications was not easily understood uh, by folks in squads and platoons. All right, it was written at a little bit too much high of a level. We didn't have good examples in there uh, explaining people, describing the concepts. So we really wanted to get after that. The other thing we wanted to do is we wanted to mirror uh, the fact that the Army combined the Center for the, the Army Profession and Ethic and the Center for Army Leadership together. And so we thought logically it made a lot of sense to put the, describe the Army profession and define that up front in the book because that sets the context for why we develop leaders in the first place, right? It's, the, it's to, to become members of that profession. And so we wanted to explicitly link those two things instead of having them in two different books. So Sergeant Major Ferguson, on that note, can you maybe give us a little bit more insight? Um, so to add on, for the majority of the leadership population is a lot of the NCO core uh, to get after some things. So in, we even talk about it in the, the manual of how an NCO's ability is to translate a lot of the mission command down to you know the, the action of uh, the organization. So while the senior leader is responsible for what the unit does or fails to do, success demands that all uh, will perform duty with discipline into the standard. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, what Colonel Creed mentioned about, hey, somebody is always in charge. And the, the adage that NCOs have talked about since, you know, the times down in Valley Forge mm -hmm. is, hey, when in charge, take charge. And, and that's what we need a lot of the organizations to do and a lot of leaders to do. And that's what, you know, we talk about this is my squad. We need every individual in the organization to realize that this is my responsibility. It's not necessarily my headquarters responsibility or my higher headquarters or I need Army policy uh, to come into place. Leadership is an action. It is not the inaction, uh, to, to add on to what Colonel Saint talks about. We, when in charge, take charge. And that's what we will see out in basic training land to where there is a private put in charge of a platoon and they're the platoon guide. And if there's three soldiers marching, one of them is calling cadence. And we have to instill uh, those types of things. So it's imperative on the organization to realize that it is everyone's responsibility to be a leader not necessarily the role or grade you know what general Maz is talking about that that's not we we have that in there but the implied intent is that everyone you know owns into it we, we cannot move forward and that's why we have to you know proliferate the this is my squad mentality to make sure that all soldiers this is your army soldiers this is not my army it's not general Maz's army this is your army you get to shape it i need you to take action with that, you know, we, we talked about the followership piece there, Colonel, saying in leaders and followers, it's a simultaneous responsibility. And there's an expression we use a lot in the Army is what's, what interests my boss fascinates me. Well, what we also have to remember at the same time is what interests the soldier fascinates me. And, and that is a, you have to be able to balance those in everything we do. Because when we talk about gets results, uh, sometimes that, that is something that's easily measurable. 
but it's because, you know, we're accomplishing the mission and all those other things. But, you know, to what interests the soldier fascinates you, you're able to achieve those results much easier. I can tell you there's uh, very few times that I'm surprised of what soldiers can do in the Army, but I'm always amazed at how much they can accomplish because you, you're going to get from that intent. And, you know, that every soldier wants to get up every day and to try to succeed. That, that's what we want to do. So we need, just need to be able to, to harness that. And there's a couple other ways we can do that. When we talk about it, also in ADP, we have formal and informal leaders. So when we talk about the, the assigned roles and positions and ranks, we also have many informal leaders. And out here, I think we can recognize all the informal leaders we've ever had in our units. Some of those might be, say, our SARC rep or maybe our boss rep or maybe just, you know, your motor sergeant who somehow can get everybody to get things done. But that motor sergeant, you know, we'll say is not the green tab leader we have in our organization. But we know that that is an infectious individual that's able to get, you know, positive results out of an organization. Well, how do we do that? We used to talk about, you know, hey, you have legitimate power. And that's, you know, something that, uh, you know, by your rank, uh, maybe your drill sergeant campaign hat and the, and the badge where soldiers know automatically that's an authority figure. I'm going to go ahead and follow the individual. And we have things, you know, maybe people will talk about transactional leadership. You know, say, hey, I'm going to reward great performance or I'm going to retrain or potentially punish if I'm a commander, you know, poor performance or behavior uh, to get that. But the, the two things that I think, you know, as we strive for the leader requirements model, uh, character, presence, intellect, leads, develops, achieves, is using the expert and referent power and probably even informational power, such as I will communicate consistently with my soldiers and never leave them informed. Those things of being a, an expert in war fighting, an expert in your craft, all that stuff, that's what will, makes, that's what will inspire soldiers to follow you. If you think about, hey, you know, what makes a good leader is, well, who would I follow? Competence to a certain degree. You need to be competent. Absolutely. And that's, that's why we, you know, maybe we're talking about competence as an element and a principle of mission command because, you know, expert power drives leadership. People will follow, you know, a leader. When we say, hey, that's a soldier, soldier, that's, a soldier, that, that's who we're going to follow. Absolutely. And then the referent power is... You know, a lot of folks will talk about how, you know, hey, I may not remember, you know, what, you know, this, you know, first sergeant or platoon sergeant, you know, what they did for the organization, but I know how I felt after I had an engagement with them. So when you have that referent power and that, that positive interaction with people, then, of course, they'll follow you. And, you know, all that will get past that blind trust that we have in an organization to say, hey, yes, we're, we are armor professionals. We all sworn to an oath. That's how you build upon that trust is by having those types of interactions and, and ability. So I, I just wanted to add those things out there for uh, all the NCOs out here to listen to that. Oh, absolutely. And no, I appreciate it, Sergeant Major. I'd like to add one thing about what uh, Colonel Creed said. And, and I say this to all the listeners. If you haven't read Doctrine lately because you were jaded early in your career by the complexity of how it was written and your inability to understand it, I recommend you go out there and find one of the new publications that is written because there is a completely different style now to how they're, they're writing this. This is written at a level that you can understand it, as Colonel Creed said, on the first time and understand what the point they're trying to get across to you. And I think that's a problem that we probably have right now is that we've all been jaded early in our careers. We just couldn't understand the doctrine. And now it is written at a level that every, every individual from the platoon all the way up is going to get something out of and be able to understand it on that first read. Yes, sir. And, you know, there's another piece, too, is, you know, 
the Army exists for a reason, right? It's to, to, to uh, fight our nation's wars, you know, in a nutshell. Um, and so we want to make sure that our leadership doctrine is tied into how we want to command and control forces. And so the Army's approach to command and control is what? It's mission command, right? Well, to execute a mission command approach to operations requires that we develop leaders capable of, of executing uh, that style of, of command and control, which is fundamentally bound up to, to leader development. I mean, you can't have the one without the other. And the, the level of, of effort uh, and the time-consuming nature of that uh, can be daunting to some people, I think, to, to say, okay, not only do I have to develop myself, but I have to develop all these subordinates. And it's a continuous thing. It's not a one and done. And so, um, you know, a lot of the challenges the Army's had in the past, I think, results from people who are much more comfortable just telling people what to do um, and then holding to these very exacting standards without ever developing them to the point where they can do that without being micromanaged. I mean, so when we looked at 622, it was tied to 60, but it was also tied to the Army's focus on large-scale combat operations, um, uh, as well as all the other types of operations it conducts. Yes, sir. So I think we've, we've got some of the, uh, the, the doctrine out of the way. I'd like to kind of turn now uh, to Colonel Sane. If you could give us some background on your organization, the Center for Army Profession and uh, Leadership, if you don't mind, and what you guys are, what you guys, your mission, purpose, what you guys do. Great. Uh, you know, thanks, Chris. Uh, you covered a little bit of it in the introduction. And, and listen, uh, if a lot of your listeners, probably like myself, uh, I had not heard of CAPL, I'll be honest, before I became its director. I had heard of the Center of Army Leadership, and that's been around for 40-plus years. Uh, as, as a part of our Army. The Center of the Army Professional Ethic, uh, which was located at, uh, at the United States Military Academy in West Point, um, was merged again, like you said before, with, with CAPL in 2019. And that was really to bring together a lot of the efforts, concepts, and, uh, and things surrounding leadership and leader development in our Army and un under one more robust organization. So in terms of a mission, uh, CAPL, what it does for the Army is it, it studies, develops products, and provide services really to strengthen the Army profession, improve our leadership, and support leader development for the Army. And that's really to, in, in, in order to achieve a couple overarching things. And that's po a positive command climate and mission-ready units. And there's a lot of pieces and parts inside of that. But some of the efforts that are currently on our plate right now, uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with, you referred to probably the two that are uh, we're spending the most time on right now in the introduction, and that is that is our support to the command assessment program, or BCAP and CCAP, uh, so through CAPL and an instrument called the, the Army Commander's Evaluation Tool, or ASET. We really gather um, a peer and subordinate uh, feedback on, on an individual or candidate before they enter the BCAP and the CCAP um, process. And it's really to provide more information to the Army as they, they go to make a uh, make some, some key decisions on our next set of battalion and brigade level commanders. And I think you're going to talk about those programs a little more in a moment. The second one you referred to is Project Athena. So this is really the introduction of career-long assessments uh, into professional military education. I know we're going to uh, talk it uh, a little bit in, in a moment, but that's really a battery of assessments that were introduced in the officer education system and are going to grow in, in other parts of our Army uh, to really help an individual become a better, more uh, self-aware leader. Um, another thing that I think most of your, your, your listeners are aware of and we've talked about here is CAPL is the Army's proponent for ADP 622 uh, leadership, FM 622 leader development, uh, and then ATP 6, 622.1, the, the counseling process. 
Um, all those are, 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 are in one, um, one way being updated or, or changed. Uh, as, as Colonel Creed talked about, as we evolve and we move towards a, 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 an MDO force. A couple of other ones just to, to touch on real quick. I referred to the Army's annual survey on leadership, this is, or the Castle. So some, some of your listeners may have, may have filled this out for the Army. And this is really to inform our Army senior leaders on, on trends in our Army, on leadership and leader development, as well as a wide range of other things, on cohesion, on diversity, inclusion. And, and this is really a 15-plus year longitudinal study to help uh, the Army make better decisions uh, as we move forward in terms of doctrine, programs, and a series of our processes. And then, and then the last kind of two things is, you know, we, we, we help, uh, we support the PME and the operational force in terms of uh, really what we, what we refer to as common core training on leadership and leader development. And that's to make sure we're, one, aligned with doctrine. And then we're also leveraging the experiences, lessons, learns, and best practices from throughout the force. Uh, and then the last one, I just say, you know, it's just kind of a shameless plug, but uh, like I said, before I came to become the director of Capital, I really wasn't aware of, of the immense amount of work that's been done by a team over a long period of time. And, and some of that is really uh, is, is seen in what we call as how-to tools. Those how-to tools are, are, are available on the Capital website, and they are really there to help leaders, followers, teams to become, just become better, whether it's a self thing or whether it's to help the the team come together, help a commander or command team uh, translate um, a command climate survey and apply it appropriately, and then really how to build cohesive teams, uh, really from the, even the squad level, or as the Sergeant Major talked about, and as uh, this is my squad, uh, all the way up to helping command teams at the battalion and brigade level. So I really appreciate the opportunity, uh, Chris, to expand on that. And we have a couple of the things, that are, like the Army Leader Exchange, really a way for folks across the force uh, to share information. There's a lot of different platforms out there in terms of Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, but the Army has some great ones that we do partner with some of those too. Uh, and it's really an opportunity for all your listeners and, and folks, whether in or out of uniform, to, to ask questions and to just share ideas. Um, but again, thanks, Chris. Yes, sir. Well, one of those, one of those subjects that you, uh, you mentioned, sir, we're going to drill down on, and that's the, uh, the Battalion Commander Assessment Program, or, or BCAP. I know that's gotten a lot of buzz over the past year. Um, and so, General Maseraki, can you explain BCAP, its components, and kind of uh, how the Army is using this new program? Well, I brought the subject matter expert with me, uh, Colonel Cardoni of uh, CAP, and I think he's the best person to be able to explain the assessment program that goes on up there. Sounds good, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, first off, I just want to just want to recognize uh, Army Talent Management Task Force. The Command Assessment Program is one of their multitude of great initiatives they have uh, currently ongoing within the Army, um, with the director of ATMTF being Major General McGee. So, our role here is part of the uh, Command Assessment Program Directorate inside of a uh, Mission Command Center of Excellence is, is really to assist ATMTF in the execution of the Command Assessment Program. It's not meant to replace the CSL process. What the Command Assessment Program does is it complements the traditional CSL process, provides the Army additional relevant information to help folks make the right, better decisions in terms of who's going to be in those command positions or those key bill positions or any key leadership position mm -hmm. for that matter. So again, you know, it's a four-day process. Um, really a candidate is invited. I'll give you an example um, for last January, which was the first major uh, command assessment program run by Army Talent Management Task Force. Um, roughly two, little over 2,000 lieutenant colonels were eligible. Um, 
and really about 750 were invited. So if you look at that, that's about 35%, 30, 36% or so uh, that are invited actual go to the command assessment program. You know, it's assumed um, through the traditional CSL process and being invited to CAP that, you know, a lot of those, you're almost, the majority of the candidates are already ready for command. Mm -hmm. um, but what's gonna determine whether you're ready for command or not is really running through a series of assessments over a four-day period. So those assessments are uh, the Army Command Evaluation Tool. That's really peer and subordinate feedback, um, height, meeting height, weight standards, uh, the leadership reaction exercise. Uh, when you hear that, it's think leadership reaction course, but mm -hmm. you're not out there on a range somewhere jumping over a wall. It's really the same composition of folks you're in a team, but the, the exercises are a little more cognitive in nature. Um, psychometric assessments, uh, a cognitive, non-cognitive assessment, written communications, uh, the Army physical fitness test, an operational psychologist interview, and then finally the Army comprehensive talent interview, better known as what we call the panel operations. So all those assessments are broken down into three different categories. It could be a screening assessment, a scoring assessment, or an inform assessment. An inform assessment such as the Army command evaluation tool or the peer subordinate feedback, that's information presented to the panel during the Army Comprehensive Talent Interview. Um, a scoring assessment contributes to um, a, a change in the OML or reestablished OML once all the candidates go through the command assessment program. And then finally, the screening assessment is that, that could find you not ready for command and removed from con command consideration for that year. So there are only three assessments that are screening that can remove you um, from consideration for the year. That's failure to meet height weight standards, uh, failure to meet the standards of the Army physical fitness test, and then finally, uh, the Army comprehensive talent interview during that process, you're found uh, not ready for command. Again, it, what the panel sees is the totality of the assessments that take place over the four days. So uh, some of the assessments also may do all three. You know, the Army physical fitness test, that also screens, it provides a score, and it also informs the panel. Some may only do two of the three such as the cognitive, not cognitive, that provides a score, but it also informs. So that's, that in a nutshell, those are what the assessments over four day period, uh, all the candidates will go through. Well, thanks, sir. The, uh, so from, what, from how you describe that, sir, it sounds like this is really just a final vetting um, off of already highly qualified candidates. But uh, General Masaraki, I'm wondering, you know, what was the Army getting after? Why, why did they see this final vetting as being necessary? Well, I think there's a misnomer out there that you have to have a problem to institute change. Uh, there was no problem with our legacy CSL process. That process is still there. It still does exactly what it's always done. But I'll, I'll paraphrase a quote from the Chief of Staff of the Army. What corporation in America would spend only two and a half minutes selecting its mid and senior grade leadership with inside of its corporation? And that's exactly what we were doing before. So the, the legacy CSL program still is executed as it's always been. It still identifies everybody that they feel is ready for command. And then they go through the assessment process to get a more holistic look at them and identify any blind spots or weaknesses that they might have that might make them not ready for command at this point in time. Okay. And, sir, if I could add one thing uh, to that. I mean, you look at, go back and look through OERs and look at the senior rater comments. You could fit more information in one tweet than usually mm -hmm. what a panel member, a board member is seeing uh, during a promotion board or, or a selection board. So. And, and at the strategic level, I mean, 
look at our adversaries across the world right now. The technological gap is closing very quickly with some of our adversaries, but the one key component where we, main, we have dominance, we want to maintain that dominance is our personnel mm -hmm. and keeping and retaining our talent. So um, at the strategic level, this definitely, this program contributes uh, in order to, to keep and maintain our current talent and attract new talent. Um, and so I, I think it's an absolutely great program in terms of that piece as well. Well, there's the other, the other things. Uh, I don't know if it's an anecdote, but I've heard at least several of the senior leaders say that we spent more time evaluating people to go into special forces or Delta Force or the Ranger Battalion mm -hmm. in terms of interviews and so forth than we ever did for people who are going to command five, eight hundred, even a thousand people, or at the brigade level, you know, five or six thousand people. And in addition, also, I mean, it, it contributes to to changing the culture of the Army and getting towards that. The culture of assessment. So, you know these these assessments that take place during CAP, they're not a secret. I, I mean, they're they're um, CAP handbooks that are given to candidates. Folks can do some research and see what they are. But there are things you could do on your own. We're seeing candidates do this before they even get there. Hey, I, I've identified I have a weakness in my writing skills. I'm going to go out and hire somebody. And candidates have done this. Hired somebody to help them with their writing skills, so they're better prepared. And you know, even even if they're not yet ready for command or determined not yet ready for command, they went ahead and they improved themselves in, in one area where they recognized there was a weakness. Um, recently, an article was published in Harvard Business Review. It's the November-December 2020 issue. It's called Reinventing the Leader Selection Process, and it was written by Colonel Everett Spain. Um, it's great, great article. It really goes into detail of um, the why and how behind the Army Comprehensive Talent Interview. So I recommend everybody go in a real. It'll go into much more greater detail why did certain decisions were made of how the panel is composed, why it's double blind, those types of things. So I highly recommend you read that. Thank awesome. you. So what we've got is a more comprehensive, I guess, assessment is the best way to look at it. And But one of the things I'm curious about is the, I guess, the selection board at the end of, of this. Um, first off, I guess, who sits on the board and, and how do they come to consensus? I, I'm I'm also curious if there are any uh, former battalion or brigade commands our majors on the board. I feel like that could be a, a vital uh, piece of this. Chris, that's a great question. So you, you've got voting members and non-voting members on, on the board. Uh, the voting members is uh, one major general, uh, two brigadier generals, two colonels that are former brigade commanders. And then you have a non-voting member, which is a nominative select CSM. So already been battalion brigade and is at the uh, general officer level. He's a non-voting member. So as you stated, we want his feedback and his assessment because he has worked with uh, leadership at, at this level before. Mm -hmm. uh, he is the only uh, person on this board that is uh, afforded the opportunity to speak. So he gives his assessment uh, to the voting members. And then just like the legacy CSO process, the other board members do not communicate. It is based off of their personal perception of how the inter interviewee did on their, uh, their answering of the questions that were presented. Interesting. Now, kind of on the same, uh, same vein, and we touched on this earlier with some discussion, and that's, I'd like to look at the talent interview process, that, that piece of, of, the, of CAP. And with that, this is a, a blind talent interview, meaning the, the board members who are sitting in and doing the interview have no access to the individual candidate's personal uh, background, their branch, their, their anything like that. Uh, all they have are the assessments so far, I guess, I assume. Now, my question is, 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 is this... I guess the, the right way to go about having this interview conducted. And, and my concern would be that you could have a very uh, diverse group of candidates, meaning you might have officers from you know, a, a, 
combat service support or a like a finance background up against a, you know sitting next to an infantry officer and they have we kind of have different expectations to a certain extent I would think about what they're going to command and how they should go about leading in those organizations is that okay to have that kind of uh, that wide of a disparity uh, amongst candidates in the same board sir you actually asked two different questions so I'll start with the first one which is the actual the double blind panel interview so double blind the interviewee doesn't get to see the panel members mm -hmm. and the panel members don't get to see the interviewee you know all information about the individual is redacted so you have no idea if they've got a combat patch uh, race, color, creed, religion, anything, is, it's all blocked out. So it is as fair as it can possibly be because as much as we'd like to say we carry no biases within ourselves, we do. You look at an individual who's got a combat path from the 82nd, if you served in the 82nd, that's more credible than someone that's got it from 3ID or a different unit. You might look and see how many stripes they've got from how many, how many months they've served downrange, how many awards they might have. Well, those are opportunities that they were afforded and you can't hold that against an individual that might not have been afforded those same opportunities. So we eliminate some of that biasm by having a double-blind uh, panel interview. Uh, the second question that you ask about, and it's why I kind of asked uh, Rich early on about attributes and competencies, and I think he did an incredible job of explaining it. Uh, you, there are some technical and tactical things that we, we expect as we grow from ranks in different branches and stuff like that, but the baseline attributes and competencies of leadership do not change by branch or grade or rank or anything. It kind of grows as you go into different positions for the level of responsibilities you have. But what we describe as leadership is leadership. So it really doesn't matter because the board's not going to ask a technical, tactical competency question because they have no idea if they're talking to somebody that served in a KD-3 or XO position in an armor brigade, an infantry brigade, an MI brigade. That, that's transparent, and it should be. And I will tell you, what's most impressive about this is every day the board goes through anti-bias training mm -hmm. uh, to understand what the question, don't read into his answers to try and figure out if he's this, that, or she's this, or that, or the other. Mm -hmm. These are baseline leadership questions that we expect from every officer within the United States. Sure. Thanks, sir. And additionally, sir, I'd just like to add, you know, research has shown that probably uh, the traditional face-to-face um, -face interview, you invite someone in your office and shake their hand, you know, have some opening comments for each other and say a few words, but that's been shown to probably be uh, the least effective way of hiring an individual interview. and conducting an interview. So, so I'll add one more thing to this thing. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, a double-blind interview is difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're giving a briefing and you're standing in front of people the first thing I was taught as a cadet was reading the body language of your audience to see if you're going in the right direction and then you can pile on or, or pull back in that area. This is hard because you're looking at a curtain. You've been given a time allocation to think about the question and then you've got to respond within a certain amount of time and you've got a duration that you can speak for without knowing from body language how you're being perceived. It, it's, it's interesting and I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a proponent of this, this process after seeing it. It works. Yeah. Sir, the, um, I'd like to add a couple things about the nominative sergeant major. So the nominative sergeant major provided some feedback and assessment to, to the voting members mm -hmm. is all based off the leader requirements model. Okay. All right, so it, it, it's, again, based off of that, but it's not based off of any, anything else to say, hey, you know, I would serve with this person again. It, it's based off of, hey, you know, hey, I think that the candidate here was able to clearly articulate how they would be able to develop others and build a team. Uh, and, and that's kind of the feedback that the non-star major would give to the, the voting members. 
but also to, to validate the integrity of the double-blind interview, the Sergeant Major was asked to determine the gender of the candidates throughout uh, this process. And the Sergeant Major, or pardon me, the, the ethnicity uh, of the candidates, and the Sergeant Major was less than 50% accurate in determining. So it validates the, the double-blind interview process to make sure, hey, are we doing this and moving in the right direction? Um, so, and then the other part is the, it's a talent interview Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, something that we need to just be able to, to better capture as, you know, we're saying, Hey, well, what are we doing? What's wrong with the system? Well, how can we optimize the systems that we have in place? So we're looking at talent interviewing. And so if you want to take a look at the enlisted panels, you know, enlisted boards are, you know, we will frankly say it's sometimes it's about rote memorization. And we need to have leaders to be able to articulate how they can get after an action, not necessarily what are some specific things they do. Uh, so it's, it's getting after the actual talent. And that's what we're trying to assess when we're putting people into position, not necessarily, you know, just only intellect. Well, you know, in talking to that double blind bit, you know, it's, we can relate to that in this COVID environment in some ways, right? So if you spent, I mean, I, I spent, you know, three and a half years in this job of standing in front of a bunch of people and, and, and explaining things, in some cases for the first time to, to audiences. Um, when you do that blind through MS Teams or Zoom or whatever, because, you know, we turn our cameras off to keep the bandwidth down, you, you just have to have confidence that people... Uh, are receiving what what you're saying, and, and you're you know you're dying to try to get some feedback, but the, the way that works it, with those kind of audits, it doesn't work. So it seems to me that that attribute of confidence, whether you have too much of it or too little of it, you know, that's got to be one of those things that just pops up and becomes really obvious off the bat. You know, that people that well, who isn't comfortable in their own skin or who may be too comfortable in their own skin kind of thing, that just that just seems to me to be something that would would be uh, something you guys would notice, I guess, when you were doing this. In those interviews, sir, um, what, what the moderator does for those interviews to, to help mitigate any of that and, you know, some of our personalities between it being an extrovert or introvert or some of that is every candidate has 30 seconds to formulate their thing. So it's not to make sh it's to make sure that, you know, to avoid the bias of a board member say, hey, this person's on it is to make sure every candidate is taking those 30 seconds so it's not to influence the board members and it doesn't disadvantage uh, the personality type of the candidate coming through. So uh, I, I would have to say hats off to, to, to CAPD and the Talent Management Task Force for, for designing this to ensure that this is a world-class, fair, standards-based, and safe uh, assessment all the way through. Uh, it's, it's impeccable uh, some of the details that they put into you know, any of the leader reaction exercise or the, the APFT or the height and weight, uh, going down there and observing, you know, height and weight. I was like, oh, I've seen the height and weight. I've been a star major. I've been an NCO for, you know, 25 years now. I've been able to see all this. And I was like, this is going to look like every other height and weight in the Army. Absolutely not. It is the most professional height and weight assessment, APFT assessment I've seen. And there's, it is the, the world-class event in ensuring that we're selecting the best leaders to take you know, the, these command positions. And when we talk about the other portions of, we, we mentioned the branches, sir, and all that. Mm -hmm. Again, what, what Colonel Cardoni said is, that, yeah, we still have a CSL process. So, so the boards and the talent interviews and all that, it, the most weighted criteria is still the, the matters of, of performance throughout the, the candidate's career. That, that is still the most weighted 
uh, area. Yeah, I, I agree, Sergeant Major. And uh, again, I just want to go back to the specifics of the question about based on you know your branch, what kind of mm -hmm. job you're going to go into, or can you bill it? Again, these are all behavioral-based type questions. They are not. They are not looking at OERs or you know they figured out what your branch is or. Um, they want to know why you made a specific decision at a specific point in your career. These are behavioral-based type questions um, that really get at the leader requirements model. Well, so in the, you know, this has been quite successful so far, I think BCAP has. Uh, now, the Army decided that it would go ahead and expand this to the Colonel uh, Command Assessment Program, CCAP. Uh, General Masraki, can you give us some insight onto where that program's at and uh, how is it different from uh, BCAP? Well, I'll let Chris talk about the differences, but I'll, I'll talk the first portion of that question. Uh, number one, it was uh, piloted last year for the first time, uh, and it was very successful. Uh, successful to the point that senior Army leadership, uh, after what they saw through the BCAP process and this first pilot program, has decided to continue it. Mm -hmm. So it will hit our second iteration this coming year in October, uh, and it will continue after that. Uh, thanks, sir. Uh, there, there are a number of changes. Um, there's some changes to the assessments because really you're moving, you know, BCAP. You're you're still at the direct level of leadership. You're going to CCAP. You're look, being looked at the 06 level. You're moving to the organizational level of leadership. So really, the assessments um, are adjusted to account for that. And the other pieces, you, you know, probably over 90% of our our senior leaders come from key billet or command positions as 06s. So um, you're, we're really looking at trying to see if we could assess. Um, in terms of their strategic potential as well. But those are the two major pieces of differences yeah. in the programs. Thanks, sir. Now, it's also, it looks like these, these programs are going to continue to expand. And yeah. that's why I was curious, sir, what, uh, what do you see on the future for the expansion of the Commander Assessment Program? Um, it'll expand uh, to, to account for, for example, we already ran through uh, Time Management Task Force uh, this past iteration, October, November timeframe, um, did the Army Leader Acquisition Program uh, piece of it, or our Acquisition Corps officers that were going in to uh, assume some positions at the 06 level. So that was just run uh, just for the military personnel within the Acquisition Corps. Um, we're thinking in the future probably um, selection of division chaplains may take part, mm -hmm. uh, the medical community as well. So, uh, and Sergeant Major already mentioned, uh, the Sergeant's Major also went through a pilot this past fall as well. So. Uh, expansion is on the horizon, that's for sure. I know the Talent Management Task Force is already leaning forward and planning for that, and, uh, and we're set to, uh, we already found out the decisions we made. We're going to execute uh, command assessment program in October, November of next year. Gotcha. So, Sergeant Major Ferguson, on that note, can you maybe give us a little bit more insight into the uh, Sergeant Major Assessment Program and where it's at? Yes, sir. In, uh, in November last year, uh, it, w it was more of a prototype. Uh, for, for the Star Major Assessment. So we had 28 volunteers uh, that came up through there. So it's a little bit different than the pilot of having, you know, the, the Army actually getting out there and selecting folks. So we had 28 volunteers uh, come through. And other than the, um, the ACIT, the Army Commander Evaluation Tool, the Star Majors took the uh, Leader 360, uh, which is to where the Sergeant Majors got to select their uh, peer and subordinate feedback and kind of give that stuff. So th that was probably the main difference between the two assessments. 
again, everything is based off the leader requirements model. Now, the board members were a little bit different. So the, the voting members were all, you know, uh, nominative sergeant majors. And then the non-voting member was a lieutenant colonel uh, who had previous battalion commander experience, either current or, or previous. And that officer did the, the same role that the nominative sergeant major had with the, the BCAP and the CCAP process. Um, I, I would say that all of the, the peers and out of the AARs, uh, the SAR majors, we're all in agreement that this is something that we need to continue to look forward and to assess uh, to go forward. So that our recommendations and decisions are still up with, you know, senior leaders in the Army or how it's going to be, you know, conducted through CAPD and the Talent Management Task Force to get after how do we maximize this and how do we refine some of the tools and assessments for SAR majors? What, what is a different evaluation tool for SAR majors that we're looking for officers based off of? certain things but again we're primarily all still looking at the leader requirements model yeah and, and I, I can expand on that a little chris so you mm -hmm. know so some people uh, who are listening here may, may have previously experienced uh, the msaf or it, it provided in, uh, folks and individual uh, individuals an opportunity to get peer support and, and feedback from superiors mm -hmm. but there are some distinct differences between the army commander's evaluation tool which uh, has been used in bcap and ccap to this point and then as the sergeant major described uh, we're in the, in the beginning phases of the development of a similar tool that assesses individuals that will go into leadership positions uh, of greater responsibility, but may not be a commander with, uh, say, UCMJ responsibilities. And, and so and in one case, that might be our SAR majors, our, our acquisition population. Mm -hmm. But what the difference is, is when an individual did a Leader 360 or an MSAF, they selected those peers and subordinates mm -hmm. and superiors to provide them feedback because it was about their development. Uh, the difference is, is the A set, and then uh, the A, what the A, what happens with the A set is is through uh, a process working with the Human Resources Command as well as Army Talent Management Task Force. Individuals from that candidate's uh, past, generally in the last three to five years, uh, are invited to provide peer and subordinate feedback. So the individuals completely unaware of who's being asked to provide feedback, and it's completely anonymous to those providing that feedback into the A set which informs this process. Uh, it doesn't decide whether an individual commands or doesn't command, it just provides peers and subordinates an opportunity uh, to pro provide their observations about an individual, their perspective. Uh, and some of those things, uh, and, and that what the tool looks at is it, it, uh, it tries to help determine whether that individual or candidate may be exhibiting some counterproductive leadership traits. Mm -hmm. uh, it also just asks some pointed questions about uh, their perspectives, again, of those peers and subordinates. But the key is, is, is the, the individual being assessed doesn't know who's doing it, and they don't select them, which really adds another layer of um, anonymity, but also probably a, a layer of accuracy. So I'm not picking uh, my friends or my bros. Uh, I, I'm, the, the Army is selecting those people based on my relationship with them as a peer or subordinate more uh, in my career. Thanks, sir. Now, before we switch topics here, I, I want to have one last question, and that is, what does the organizational future of, of the, the command assessment program look like? I understand there's, it's managed somewhat by the Army Talent Management Task Force, but we have, sir, your new director, Colonel Cardone, that, that you're working with. How does this future, what does it look like? When will, when will you take this, or will the, how long will the Army Talent Management Task Force hang on to it? It was, it was initially assumed that the um, command assessment program director here within, within CAC and MC, Mission Command Center of Excellence would assume the, the entire program uh, that has since changed uh, found uh, working with TMTF you you look at what the army's done in terms of closing our gaps in terms of and modernization with our platforms and our equipment 
you know, cross-functional teams, um, you know, long-range precision fires, cross-functional teams. Mm -hmm. What Talent Management Task Force has identified is there is nobody out there or no proponent that is actually looking at modernizing in terms of talent management. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a great job with, with all our weapons and platforms and those types of things, but, you know, the most important piece of our Army, our personnel, our mm -hmm. talent, the great individuals serving within the Army. There's nobody looking long-term. Uh, what we're currently seeing on the horizon is, a, is an organization at the Army Enterprise level that's going to have the ability to, to look deep in terms of talent management, um, really taking care of the, the policy-level issues regarding talent management, collecting data, analyzing data. And really at the Command Assessment Program Directorate here down at MC Co. is, is really the execution of the CAP program itself. Now to, uh, to jump topics here, I kind of want to move over to uh, Project Athena. And so, Colonel Sane, if you could give us just an overview of Project Athena, um, where it's at in its implementation, and what the Army is getting after with this self-development assessment program. Great, great. Uh, again, thanks, Chris. So, you know, some of the listeners here may have already experienced this or, or heard, uh, heard about through some of their friends. But what I can offer is that uh, everyone who, who goes through some level of PME um, is going to experience or, or be able to um, benefit from Project Athena. So what Project Athena really is, is it's, it's a new leader development program grounded in the Army's people strategy as put out by, by General McConville, uh, our Chief of Staff of the Army. But it's really a TRADOC program that uses um, some standardized or a battery of assessments uh, designed to support a leader's growth uh, and their development. So it's not talent management, Probably a better way to term it, it's talent development. Um, so what those assessments do, and again, those assessments really, a part of those assessments are what we've all experienced in our PME experience already. And that is the physical component. So it was the Army Physical Fitness Test. It's now the Army Combat Fitness Test. And then what, what we refer to as the warfighting element. And that is the, the elements within the POI uh, and the standards that we're graded to, to help us be successful um, once, we, once we depart or graduate from that, that phase of PME uh, into the, 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 our next set of jobs in the Army. Um, but really, the, there's a series of those other assessments, and they are web-based. Uh, some are commercial or civilian, and a, a most were developed uh, here at Capel and, and in, in uh, concert with the Army Research Institute. And those, those assessments really are only there to do two real main things, and that's one, to help an individual become more self-aware. So how do I view myself versus how my peers and subordinates uh, perceive me or see me? Uh, am I adaptive? Uh, am I, am I a, a leader with good communication skills? So really, self-awareness is number one, and then really um, those assessments, along with some other, help an individual to focus their leader development. And so what does that mean? So as I become more self-aware and I understand better where my strengths may lie and where some of my developmental gaps or, or weaknesses, or really you could just say those areas I'm not as strong in, it's, it's to inform really the next phase of the effort, and that is the, the development of what we might call an individual development plan or self-development plan, or we might simply call a, a developmental counseling statement. And that just helps the individual in PO, uh, PME to set some goals based on the results in those, that battery of assessments as well as how they performed in the course, how they have performed the Army Combat Fitness Test, and then, and then what they see as their goals as they move into the next phase of, of their career in the Army. Uh, but again, it's all about self-development, 
Uh, and really what that means is in terms of assessments, there's a couple types of assessments. And some assessments are referred to as developmental and some are predictive. And all that means is, is if it's developmental, it's designed to just help the individual who's taking it. They own the information, they own the data, and then they can choose to share it with an instructor, a small group leader, uh, a mentor, to help guide their efforts into becoming a better leader and a better soldier. A predictive assessment, as we've kind of talked about here as a part of the, the command assessment program, that's to help the Army make a decision. Uh, and the Army will use that information for talent management. And that's that distinction between talent development and talent management. So in terms of Athena itself, it, it was uh, really an idea early last year um, in, uh, with, with General Funk in concert with Lieutenant General Rainey, the, the CG of, the, uh, of CAC. Uh, but it was, the, it was started in our uh, basic officer leader courses or BOLICs with our, with our second lieutenants across all 17 of our branches and also piloted in the maneuver captain's career course. And that started in the summer uh, of 2020 with these battery of assessments to really help us learn and to grow in the program. Um, recently, in this month, uh, all those assessments and the entire Project Athena effort is growing into all Captain's Career Course, which means by this month, next month, all Captain's Career Course at all 17 branches will be taking uh, their series of assessments that, are, um, that have been developed for those leaders at that level. And then the Command and, uh, Command and General Staff Officers Course uh, will also begin to take these assessments uh, sometime here in the spring of, of 2021. So, sir, you, you mentioned an interesting point here, and that is that, so these assessments, it sounds like they vary by grade or level of PME. Is that correct? They, they, they do. do. Now, okay. some of the assessments, I mean, obviously the war fighting and the physical fitness component change with your echelon of PME. Uh, some of the assessments, uh, generally those in terms of my self-awareness or individual self-awareness, uh, uh, will will slightly change or not change over time. And that's to help an individual really understand um, and, if necessary, make some immediate adjustments to their personal strategies uh, of behavior. So things that we describe like the Leader 360, which is a, a peer and subordinate um, assessment, or the Leader 180, which is really a peer evaluation, those will be taken by individuals throughout their PME experiences because they will change as leaders, they will grow and mature, uh, but it'll help them understand how they are and how they are versus the perceptions and observations of their, uh, their peers and subordinates. Some of the assessments will change, and that really, uh, they, they will change based on what the expectations of the Army are mm -hmm. for those leaders or individuals at that level of leadership in the Army. And that's all grounded in the Army leadership requirements model and is designed to, once again, uh, inform that individual's self-awareness and then help to focus their self-development. Uh, so again, they can become the best version of themselves uh, moving forward in, in, in their chosen career. Hey, but Sam, just, so for some, we're all old guys and, you know, sitting here in the room except for a couple. And, but, yeah, Chris. But, uh, so throughout my career, for example, starting at Bullock or the basic course back in the, in the old days, you know, you, you had a reading test. Right, you had the Army effective writing test. Um, you had a, uh, a personality test. Uh, remember, forget which one it is. Myers Briggs. Briggs, right? And and so, I always saved all those things, and, and you keep them, and you have your AERs, right, from the schoolhouse as well. Um, but I think what I'm hearing is that that wasn't necessarily true in every branch. 
in every school. And, and the other piece is w nobody ever did anything with it. You know, I, I, I collected them and saved them and watched how they changed over time. Um, but it never seemed like it was related to the AER or, or how well I did in school. And then AERs weren't necessarily related to or, or treated the same way as OERs were, mm -hmm. which was always seemed a little frustrating. Um, that you know, if you if you bust your butt in school to, to to become better, you really didn't get any different benefit than somebody that was kind of coasting. So, well, no, Chris. I mean, uh, uh, um, those are some some great points, and you're right. It, it, the the, it, the part of our challenge was it wasn't standardized across our army. It wasn't standardized across all branches. But what what has been found over time is that individual with greater self awareness um, is a more aware leader. Uh, and and uh, is a better leader, and that has been reinforced through the BCAP and CCAP experience. And then the other thing you kind of described was, you know, you took those things and stuck them in this little folder and and held on to them. You were probably the anomaly, uh, I might say. Um, but you know, what comes with this is we're also leveraging technology and automation with this process. So. Um, the vast majority of the assessments are all being provided to individuals um, for their access throughout their career, and that's that career-long assessments thing, through, a, through a, a system called the Army Enterprise Assessment System, or AAS. That just means that, that an individual take an assessment, they use their CAT card, they log on, they take assessments, the assessment provides them what's called an individual feedback report which they use to inform that individual development or self-development plan, but that is on there forever. So as as an officer or as we grow the program in the non-commissioned officer corps, uh, the civilian education system and with our warrant officers, there will be a record of that um, on, uh, for you to utilize throughout your career. And that means you'll be able to go back and reference, but not in a folder, stuff them in a folder, but on this system. And then there will be some other, there are some other tools that we're introducing to help an individual you know, pull that information together and again, once again, leverage technology to help them create the best possible plan or set of goals for them to, to get better in those areas that they that have been identified they're they may be weaker than their peers or, or they just simply want to get better in. So so some some great points and again the program is new and so there there are continuous improvements and that's being informed by uh, the experiences that we've already observed for the last six, seven months in, their, in our bullet courses as well as Captain Career course and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, essentially a network of, of individuals in, in our uh, COEs and branch schools which are providing feedback. As we move forward into 2021, uh, the scientists at Working Capital are, are going to begin to conduct what's called a program evaluation. That just means that like all, everything we do in the Army won't assess. Are we doing the right things? Are we doing them uh, right? And so they're going to step through a, 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 essentially a scientific process to get feedback from students that were assessed, from instructors, as well as looking at the data to, realize, to figure out, are we using the right assessments? Are they at the right place in your career, Chris, as you talked about? Uh, and again, it's all, but this is all focused on the individual. And, and, and again, so as General Maseraki has said before, if you want to get better, uh, then, then Project Athena is for you. Uh, if you're not interested in getting better, then, then you know, you, you probably need to take a look inside yourself. So. Okay, so I just got the entry point that I was looking for. Uh, <laughs> eight, I tried. I've got a platform that I talk to lieutenants, to captains, and soon-to-be majors about Project Athena. Uh, and uh, Sam already hit it. This is your assessment. Nobody gets this. This is not predictive in nature. It's not going to your next battalion commander. You're not your next brigade commander. 
The only thing that is done is a self-development form, which you can share if, you, if you'd like to with your, your counselor, which is your SGI, or potentially your next battalion or brigade commander as he helps the organization develop an LPD program to address some of those weaknesses that are the aggregate across the cohort that he brings into his organization. Um, I think as we talk about leadership, the foundation of leadership is trust, and I think we have a trust issue out there right now because I hear all the conspiracy theorists out there tell me about I don't, I don't want to share anything because it's going to be used against me. If the Army does a drawdown or if I go to a unit and there's extra captains, they're going to utilize this to say when I go into command. Completely false. Now, there is one component that is shared out of uh, Project Athena, and that is the aggregate of a cohort that goes through BOLIC or Triple C or, or CGSC. That is the aggregate information of everybody that took the test that helps inform the institution on how they need to change their POI. No name, no nothing. Just an aggregate of cohort year groups such and such. So there is one aspect of it, but that's it. And as uh, Sam mentioned, you know, I ask three questions when I talk to people ab about Athena. Are you as good as you want to be or as good as you need to be to lead our soldiers? Two, are you willing to, to be completely honest with yourself on your self-assessments? And the third one is, are you willing to work hard enough to be as good as you need to be to lead our soldiers? If the first answer that you said, are you good enough, and your answer is yes, then Project Athena is not for you because um, you can't be honest as you answer that first question to, with yourself. The second two, if the answer is yes to those two, then Project Athena is for you. This is the Army offering an opportunity for you to get better at what we do for a living in our profession. And that's about as serious as it gets. The second part of this is the Army is attempting to educate you and help you as a, for this topic that we just finished talking about, which was BCAP and CCAP. If you're self-aware early in your career and you take the right steps to close those gaps and eliminate those blind spots, then BCAP and CCAP should be easy for you as they ask those questions because it's all about self-awareness. So this is a project that the Army has instituted to help the individual soldier personally get better at what he is supposed to do for our nation. Sir, sir you, you brought up some great points there, and there's just one I like to pull the thread on, and that's, that's the follow-through on, on the assessments in the self or individual development plan. Is that, you know, if an individual takes that and, and, and leaves their PME experience and sticks it in a manila folder, Rich, like we talked about before, and doesn't do anything about it, well, I mean, that's a personal choice. That's a, kind of a self-selection thing in itself. But really, what the program's designed for is that individual, that assessed uh, in this initial phase officer, to take that individual self-development plan and share it with their, when they move to their operational unit, to share it with their raider. Or if they're not comfortable initially, with some mentor. Because what it does is, while some of us years ago may have had a little three by five card on our refrigerator that said, well, here's my five year and 10 year plan. That was the depth of it. It was based on, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, uh, our own personal goals, but not informed by these assessments and, and a greater understanding of our own self. Uh, as other people see us and then as we move through uh, you know, our, our personal development in life and as an individual or an officer in the Army. But if they carry that, that self or individual development plan forward to their operational unit, that would help a, a commander uh, at whatever level to one, better understand that, 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 that soldier that's walking in the organization, but really help them to realize their goals, both professional and personal. Um, so again, it, it really helps us to accelerate that process that should happen uh, in the force. But we've all got to know that to ask for it and look for it. You know, that's related to what General, related back to what General Maz said. It, you, you framed it a, a certain way. Am I as good as I need to be? Yeah. 
I tend to look at this as, am I as good as I think I am? And, you know, because that, that's another piece of this. So we've all had this experience, and it's something that I do with uh, initial counseling for people to join our team because it's a kind of a strange place. And that, but you ask people, you know, what are your goals uh, and so forth. Talk to me about are you still in the hunt for either promotion or, or the command track or, or so forth. And uh, the percentage of people that are taken aback by those kinds of questions who, who, who are in some cases or in many cases overly optimistic uh, and then you don't find out till later that yeah, well, I thought I was in great shape because nobody told me differently. And, and it kind of relates back to, you know, when you have a senior rater profile I had a senior raider one time warn me, you know, when I first was uh, in 05 command and was going to have a senior raider profile. He said, you're going to find out some, some very strange things. And, and one of the strange things is if, say, you have you 30 rate, uh, senior rate 30 people, um, the only four or five people that are going to come back and complain about an OAR are generally the bottom four or five people who had no idea that they were on order of magnitude less capable as leaders than everybody else. They consider themselves at the top in, in terms of their self-evaluation. And what's that called? That's a, a, a lack of self-awareness. Self exactly. Okay. So uh, I just think that that's a powerful, uh, a powerful thing. And it, it goes right back to the leadership requirements model that's in the doctrine. Uh, and, but that's a lot of its attributes, but it really gets the competencies when you get out in the operational force. I'll tell you, the one thing that uh, this just keeps bringing up is, hey, the one equalizer is work ethic. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what your IQ is or how you do on tests. It's your work ethic. Because the smartest guy in the room who's not willing to put in the energy and the effort is going to get outworked by the dumbest guy in the room who's willing to do whatever it takes and refuses to be outworked. That guy's going to be successful. So if you're not willing to be totally honest with yourself on these tests. And, and when I say totally honest with yourself, we all have that thing where you read something, you're like, well, I do show tendencies of that sometimes. I could say yes on that. Well, if you had to go through that process and the answer is no, and you need to be honest enough to be, be hard on yourself if you really wanna be better. And then the last part of it is work ethic. How bad do you want it? And I'll tell you, that's why I love the BCAP and CCAP selection process, because we're offering people a chance to compete. How bad do I want it? Am I going to prepare? Am I going to put the work in to go in there? There's only a couple areas that you can probably put a lot of work, at, work into, but I'll tell you, it's the number one thing that everybody complains about, the PT test. No, the PT test is absolutely too standard as written. That's always been written. We're just holding ourselves accountable to what we've agreed are the standards. You can you can overcome that with will and work ethic. That's yeah, so it's like being a walk-on versus a scholarship guy, right? So. Now, Colonel Sane, with Project Athena, you know, as we discussed, it's currently conducted in PME, um, and that's Bullock, Career Course, and then CGSC for for some officers there, who who stay in that long. Now, is there any look at expanding this outside of just TRADOC and maybe trying to nest it with the counseling and evaluation process? So, uh, outside of those three times in a career, you get more feedback? Any idea? I think it's a great question. There's really kind of two parts to the answer. I think the first part is inside of TRADOC, as we've kind of talked about it here, as Project Athena was initial, in this initial phase, it was introduced inside the officer education system. So as you described, the Bolick, Cabbage Career Course, and CGSOC. Really throughout FY21, we're going to introduce uh, assessments 
uh, some of the same assessments, uh, but again, focused at that echelon or the individual's level of PME, uh, and then inside their cohort. So those pilots are going to occur across the, the non-commissioned officer professional development system. Uh, at, so think in terms of the basic leaders course, ALC, SLC, uh, and, and the master and the MLC. Uh, we're going to introduce it in the warrant officer um, PME. So in, in the WOBC, WAC, and then at Fort Rucker at the ILE and SSE versions. And then finally, uh, because we're we're a total force and a total army. Uh, we're going to introduce it in the Army Material Staff College. So in the civilian education system, which some of your listeners uh, may not even be aware uh, exists. So they have a similar system with the basic, intermediate, advanced course. Uh, and so these assessments are going to be piloted in all three of those cohorts at all those echelons at, at probably about three locations in, in fiscal year 21. And then throughout fiscal year 22, uh, we're going to grow it across every, um, every installation that, that, that holds... Uh, courses or PME for those. And so that means 32 BLCs and that means 17 uh, branches for our warrant officers and, and you know dozens if not a hundred different uh, disciplines as well as again all, across all parts of the civilian education system. I think the last piece is you know like I said before just like our civilians uh, COMPO 2 and COMPO 3 are, are National Guard and, and Reserve um, components of our total force are just as important as the active side. And, and, and over time, after we've grown it and we've, we've uh, pro done some program evaluation and gotten it right, we're also going to grow it across our Compo 2 and Compo 3. Sometimes that's a little bit more of a challenge be so, because uh, an individual in Compo 2 and 3's uh, PME experience is a little bit different. And we want to make sure they're afforded the same opportunities um, that, that those of us that are in the compo one of the active component. The, the second part of your question is, is in the operational force. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I previously kind of described, it's, you know, the, the intent of this program is PME is just those, those gates we all walk through mm -hmm. uh, as we mature in our, in our career, no matter if we're a non-commissioned officer, an officer, a warrant officer, or, or a Department of the Army civilian. Uh, that's just where we take the assessments. Mm -hmm. The real key, as we described before, is taking the results from those assessments as well as the results from that PME experience and, and putting that into a plan, a plan that'll help you get better and then sharing that with, with uh, our raiders, senior raiders or mentors as we move the operational force uh, to help us realize uh, the goals or objectives inside that plan. I think the last piece is there are elements of Project Athena which will grow uh, into the operational force in the same way, not the cognitive assessments and non-cognitive assessments that are they're testing our critical thinking or self-awareness because because you're getting that in PME and it's and the distance between those PME experiences such that it, it's spaced about appropriately. But there is some powerful uses in things like uh, the Leader 360. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, it has been reformed or revised from what some may know as MSAF to add components like the counterproductive leadership elements or tendencies, uh, but also to ensure it's fully nested in the Army Leader Requirements Model. And so that over time, what we're, gonna, we're building is an opportunity for units to, to leverage that, um, that assessment. That aggregate data? That, that, well, the aggregate that. data, so a commander, uh, and, and under MSAF, there was a, pre, a, a similar program. It would allow a, essentially a brigade-level commander to introduce uh, that assessment across his or her organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, in general, that's probably, you know, uh, inside of our leaders at the platoon level and above. Mm -hmm. It allows the commander to then, allows each of those individuals to take that assessment, to become more self-aware, and maybe that's because they're outside their PME 
but it really allows the commander, and like you said, in an aggregate fashion, um, to understand his or, his or her organization better. So how do his lieutenants or how do his sergeant first classes, what are they strong in or, or maybe less strong in? And that could really help that commander uh, to make a, some more informed decisions about a, a unit leader development program. Uh, it's not the do-all and end-all. It, it can be combined with some other things that are available uh, throughout the Army. And, and one that the CAPL has developed was the Command Climate Navigator. I kind of um, side-referenced it before, and that's really to help a command team take the results of their Command Climate Survey, look at the results, and to develop a plan to address those areas uh, that may be of concern or, or, or they're just not, uh, uh, they want to, to get better at, so. And, and Sam, I, that, that's key because, uh, I mean, let's face it, for the majority of officers, probably CGSOC is the last PME they're ever gonna go to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was as it relates to BCAP and CCAP, I mean, it, it would, be, uh, would be remiss if we brought all these candidates down to Fort Knox and they didn't get any feedback, so build into BCAP and CCAP as well. As you were saying, Rich, like, you, you put your Myers-Briggs in the book, but nobody ever did anything with it. Um, so what will happen is at the end of the uh, comprehensive talent interview, uh, the candidate will go see, do a 30-minute outbrief with the op operational psychologist. And, and if the individual by that time, having gone through four days of nine different assessments, they probably identified a few gaps they may have not known in the past. But the operational psychologist really takes the totality of those assessments, minus the the ACTI because that has just happened maybe an hour prior and really helps the candidate identify some of those gaps that they may have. And then at the end of the program and during the AR of both BCAP and CCAP, Major General McGee, the Director of Army Talent Management Task Force, he'll post, hey, every candidate in this room has the opportunity to seek professional coaching. It's a civilian coach. Um, they won't have the information or your assessments from from BCAP or CCAP, but it's another opportunity outside of Athena or outside of the unit to go ahead and, and close some of those gaps you may have identified going through the process. Is there any any thought given to the, the possibility of giving the selection board access to uh, previous Project Athena type assessments? So Colonel Cardoni's uh, team and the team at CAPL work closely together, but also work closely with Talent Management Task Force. And, and this question is one we've gotten all the time because you know, some might say, well, more information is better. And that might be true, but there's this trust element that General Maseraki talked before. And as I previously described, there's, there's the two general types of assessment, developmental and predictive. Project Athena falls uh, wholly in the lane of developmental, which means the individual being assessed owns that information and data. Other than the aggregate data, which is, you know, an entire class, an entire year group, an entire branch, and that's to help the Army make a more informed decision. And while the efforts of Project Athena and the command assessment program are complementary, or as General Maseraki described before, if I took advantage of all the elements of Project Athena, make myself more self-aware, and to develop myself in those focus areas which I was less strong in, I am going to perform better when I get an opportunity to go to the command assessment program, whether BCAP or CCAP or the sergeant majors or, or acquisition or whomever. Uh, and so over time, really, that's about improving the Army's readiness and really improving the Army's uh, personnel. So as Colonel Cardoni talked before, that is the one area where, uh, where our Army, our, our joint force, uh, continues to have an edge. And, and this is a way that the programs are complementary and work together but, but again, that data from Project Athena is completely owned by that individual uh, who has been assessed, where the data that is collected as part of the 
command assessment program is the armies to make a, a more informed decision. Now there will be opportunities in the future for an individual who takes assessments in Athena to share it with other people as we talked about before. And so in terms of knowledge, skills, and behaviors, which Colonel Creed alluded to before, we use some of those on the officer side right now to inform our aim to choices, but those are self-professed, which means I might say, well, I'm a great writer, or I am a wonderful public speaker. Well, what some of the Project Athena assessments will do was allow that that KSB to move from something I self-profess or believe in myself to something that there's some quantifiable information that says, yes, I am. Um, that's another step in the process, but again, just wanted to make it really clear that we have to maintain the trust for everybody participating in Project Athena. That's your information and data, and you are the only one that can share that. But, but again, never forget what we we've talked about before, which is this is all about you getting better. And, uh, and, and, and you deciding that, um, that your improved self-awareness and your improved improvement in areas where you, your performance in uh, some form of assessment was less strong, that you now have a, a, a pathway uh, to get better. So if you so choose to, to participate in a, a BCAP or CCAP in the future, that you're better prepared. Thanks, sir. Well, gentlemen, on that note, I think we'll uh, wrap things up. Thank you for joining me today. Good to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I'd also like to thank our listeners and note that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the United States Army, the United States Army Training and Doctrine Command, the Combined Arms Center, or the Mission Command Center of Excellence. I'm Major Chris Parker, and this is Breaking Doctrine.